Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And this segment of our podcast we call Theology for Everyone. We are breaking down the Westminster Confession of Faith. We've been working through this for about a year and a half. The Westminster Confession of Faith is a short, systematic theology, um, breaking the Bible apart into doctrines and studying each one of those parts individually. Um, You can read the Bible front to back and read it like a story, but if you want to know what the Bible teaches about the church or what the Bible teaches about marriage and divorce, then it's helpful to have what we call a systematic um, theology. And so this is a miniature systematic theology. And I'll just say, I think every single Christian family needs to have a one of these, a Westminster Confession of Faith at home. Uh, maybe even sitting on the dining room table. You can walk your kids through at dinner table. But you also need to have a larger volume, a larger systematic theology. So when your kids ask you those questions or when you want to go a little deeper, you can go to those um, and, and find them. Uh, Wayne Grudem has got a very... Um, Easy to read, one of the easiest to read, most, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, but... Accessible? Accessible, that's the word. Uh, The most accessible uh, systematic theology. So um, I would say pick that one up. If you don't have one, pick it up, order it on Amazon, and uh, start looking looking at it, start reading it, okay? But uh, we are at chapter 26 of of Communion of Saints, which is unique, um, but before we jump into chapter 26, men, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, it's Rob Spikstra, Pastor of Discipleship. And Kevin Kinor, Pastoral Assistant. All right. Uh, Alex is still on vacation. <laughs> this guy, man. He was on the news today, though. That's what I'm hearing. He, he was on oh, the news. Pretty cool. Yeah, for Sacred City Youth. That was pretty cool. Yeah, at least he's working when he's on vacation. <laughs> Good man. All right. Now, this is interesting. We just got done, chapter 25, talking about the church, right? Mm-hmm ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, or the theology of the church. And now we're talking about the communion of the saints, which is unique because the communion of the saints is another word for the church. The church. <laughs> so the Westminster divines wanted to draw our attention to something mm. unique here. They wanted to mm. drill down and show a distinction mm-hmm. here. And uh, and so this is important for us to, to look at. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Rob, would you go? Would you read that yeah. first article for yeah. us? First article: All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by His Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with Him in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. This is getting to um, the covenantal nature of our relationship with Christ. Um, this is um, we could also call it what it what it means to be in Christ, or mm-hmm. you have to have union with Christ, and out of our union with Christ, we have union with each other. Yeah. But it's important. It's this is. I think we're gonna get there. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. That's Article Three. I don't need. To, I don't need to bring that up yet. So let's just go through it uh, piece by piece, and let's start talking about it. All saints. So right right away, we're not talking about all people. 
There's a, there's a kind of a general way of sometimes people, well, we're all children of God. We're not all children of God. There are saints and there are sinners. There are those who have been made into saints by the work of Christ, namely the elect who have put their faith in Christ. We've been changed. Our um, identities have been changed from sinner to saint. And so every single person, everyone in the elect, every single person who's put their faith in Christ, um, they are united to Jesus Christ, their head. So that means we've been brought into the body of Christ, okay? We have union with Christ by his spirit and by faith. What blessings does that bring? We have fellowship with him in his graces. So the graces that God, that Jesus Christ gives us or the Father has given Jesus, we have fellowship with those graces um, in the, through the Son mm-hmm. and by the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? But this is interesting. It goes on. His graces, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, and his glory. What text do we have for that? Romans 6, 5, and 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right. Um, so these are some some of the benefits, some of the blessings to being united to Christ by faith. When Christ, so when I'm in Christ, when I've when I've had my identity changed, the Spirit moves into me. Okay, I, I've just I've described it several ways. I've been the elect. I've responded in faith. Um, God's regenerated me, given me a new heart, and at, at this moment, I am grafted into Christ. Okay, what that means now for for each individual Christian, when Christ lived His perfect life, that life gets counted to as yours. Mm. When Christ died on the cross. You died with him in his death. When Christ rose from the dead, you rose with him. When Christ is glorified, you will be glorified as well. Mm. So because of our union with Christ, these benefits and blessings come to us. Now, it's interesting. These are all his graces, okay? But it's interesting, I think, that he puts puts sufferings in the middle of that. Yeah, it really is. They put sufferings in there. So if I leave out sufferings, if I leave out sufferings and, and I'm, I have union with Christ in his sufferings, Christianity becomes a health and wealth prosperity gospel. Right. Uh, Martin Luther called it a theology of glory. Hmm. He juxtaposed that to a theology of the cross, that we, we get glory through suffering. So we have, every Christian has to go through and participate with Christ in his sufferings in some way in this life. Persecutions, mistreatment, um, even the sufferings of resisting sin and the sufferings that we experience in our own flesh, and ultimately, we all will die, physical death as well. So it's important when when we're preaching the gospel that we include... Yeah, the, the sufferings. The yeah. sufferings. Like yeah. Jesus yeah. specifically said, take up your cross yeah. and follow me. So he's not just offering eternal life. He's not just offering a healed body. He's not just offering 
the new heavens, the new earth. He's also, it's going to take suffering. Mm-hmm. And you see this in the, the apostle Paul on his conversion. Jesus says to him, I'm a, or Jesus says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer mm-hmm. for the sake of my name. Mm-hmm. That, that suffering is a necessi- necessary part of the Christian life. Um, our culture should um, reject us because it first rejects Christ. Right. Right. All right. So we have a, a union with Christ that can never be taken away. This, there's a glorious truth there. We have union and communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. But this union also unites us to one another in love. So we have a union with Christ, and they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. So this is interesting. The church is united with Christ, and therefore we, are, we have a communion with one another. Mm-hmm. Our unity isn't first and foremost with each other. So we're not face to face looking at each other. We're actually side by side looking at the face of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And understanding our union in Christ and our identities in Christ that we've been made into the family of God or the other illustration he uses, we're all parts of the same body, the yeah. body of Christ, here for a specific mission. Now we know what we're for. We're looking at Christ. We're b- about his mission. Now we have community together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a mission going on here. And we get, and each one of us are, have certain gifts and have certain graces. What text do we have for that? Ephesians four fifteen and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. When you were saved, God gave you specific gifts mm-hmm. and specific grace, graces. Mm-hmm. Some of those gifts were just, I mean, a gift of grace from your birth. You know, they're just natural. They're in your DNA. And when he saved you, he wanted those gifts to be used to build up his body. Whether it's in other places, he talks about, you know, preachers and teachers and the gift of administration and the gift of leadership and the gift of service and all of these different gifts, the Lord has equipped every single person in the body of Christ to unite under his lordship and under his head and serve and bless the rest of the body of Christ with their gifts. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's a, why do you, uh, gifts and graces? I was wondering what the difference is between gifts and graces. If he was talking about spiritual gifts and then graces, which would be anything else that that, that really we haven't earned, or if there um, if there's even need to be a differentiation, I was taken back by that a little bit. Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't really know. Certainly, with graces, it's those things within our lives that really we cannot account for, you know. And and it could be at birth, you know, like you said, just the gifting that God has given to us, the personalities that God has given to us. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even it's the grace of our stories, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, where we sure. all have unique stories mm-hmm. of which God uses to bless the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I want you to follow their logic here. You are united with Christ. Therefore, you have community with your local church. And now here's the next step. Mm -hmm. And are obliged Mm -hmm. 
to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. Yeah. What text do we have for that? First Thessalonians 5, 11 and 14. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Okay. Because the work of Christ has united us with Jesus, with one another, given us certain gifts and graces, Mm -hmm. we are stewards of those gifts and graces. Mm -hmm. And now we have a duty to work out those mm-hmm. gifts and graces for and in the body of Christ. Yeah. And this says, performance of such duties, public and private. Mm. We have a duty. Let's work out some of these. We have a duty to pray for one another. Mm-hmm. We have a duty to love one another. Mm-hmm. We have a duty to speak the truth in love yeah. to one another. We have a duty to encourage one another as long as it's called today, not to harden your hearts, yeah. right? We have a duty to worship the Lord together Mm -hmm. with one another. We have a duty to confess our sins one to another, right? That we may be healed. We have a duty to pray for the sick, that they may be healed. We have a duty to give financially to the church so that we can, so the pastors can be paid, the mission of God can move forward, and we can plant churches. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? You guys, any any other things that you're thinking of in your head? Public and private. Mm -hmm as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. Yeah, I think of just even uh, the outward man in terms of just their skill sets that people have within within the body that can be used for the good of good of other people. Actually, those skill sets can be used in such a way that they are on mission, so they can actually be on mission mm-hmm. for you know for someone if if they yeah. if they have somebody who are, they're on mission to and they need somebody to come over and help them out with something. It's a way that the body can actually be on mission corporately together mm-hmm. with one another, you know, with with an individual. So I can see those talents yeah. that God has given. Sure. <clears throat> I think it's great. <clears throat> now, this really pushes against consumer, the consumer church that we live in, you know, because I think of this and I hear this word, uh, you know, obliged. And obliged most to duty. Folks, yeah, yeah. Most folks don't think in that in terms of going to be part of a local body of Christ that, yeah, you are obliged to. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's just not about you consuming. It's about you also giving and serving and, yeah. and working out that duty. I was reading this week a sermon by Timothy Dwight. Uh, and it was, I can't, can't remember if it was like, it was like 1798 or something along those lines. And Timothy Dwight was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. He was the president of Yale at the time. He was preaching a sermon on the 4th of July. I think it was about 22 years after the revolution, the, the revolutionary war. And it was right in the middle or no, towards the end of the French revolution. And he was condemning the French Revolution and the philosophy that was uh, being taught at that time and and all the bloodshed that was happening. And he was warning his church and his countrymen that that philosophy could make its way here and we must must, uh, denounce it and we must stay true. And he's calling them all to to diligence. But one of the, one of his points, uh, how we're going to preserve our nation. He's basically preaching how we can preserve our nation. And it was very political, political sermon. Um, one of the, his points was that we, 
we must be resolved to not neglect the Sabbath huh. and to be um, basically to be um, practicing our religion both publicly and privately. Huh. He's saying that literally the church is the moral preservative of a society. Yeah. And if you want a good nation, you've got to have good people. If you want to have a moral nation, you've got to have moral people. If you want to have a religious nation, you've got to have religious people. And he's like, the only place that that happens is in the church. Mm. So do not neglect the Sabbath. Get to church, hear the preaching of the word of God, confess your sins, become a dutiful man and woman of integrity who goes out into the world and is prayerful, is thoughtful, um, has a Christian worldview, Et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I just found that really moving, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You are the salt of the earth. You, you, know, you are the light on the hill. He's yeah. talking to the church. He's talking to the followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing within our culture. Yeah, and it begins with our union with Christ, yeah. our communion with one another, and our using our gifts and graces in the body of Christ, that we have a duty to one another. We have a duty to look at somebody and smile on Sunday morning. We have a duty to walk up and shake their hand, give them an encouraging word. We have a duty to make meals for one another and, be, and practice hospitality. Um, I was thinking that, you know, um, Scripture says that you, we, sometimes we practice hospitality and we uh, entertain angels, angels yeah. un, unaware. You know, like we have a duty to do good works. That means practicing hospitality to the outsider, to somebody that doesn't go to our church. We have, we actually have a duty yeah. to do that. Strangers, sure. And uh, we we. We have a pietistic, most Christians, I think, have a pietistic understanding of their Christianity mm. in that they think that God has changed their personal heart and it's just for communion now with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. So that's that's it. It's just me yeah. and Jesus. Yeah. But that, God saved us for much more than that. Yeah. We have a duty to one another and to life in in the body of Christ that displays God's gifts and God's grace and God's, um, you know, the way he's made us, you know, we are united, we are diverse and united at the same time. And we actually have a duty one to another that we must must perform. This is, so that's kind of pietistic rather than covenantal, Mm -hmm. right? That we have a covenant together with God to live a certain way in this this world. Okay, well, we're going to go on to Article 2. Sure. Yeah, Article number 2. Saints, by profession, are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offers opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who, in every place, call upon the name of God. Of the Lord Jesus. Okay, again here, going. I mean, saying something very similar, but wanting us not to miss it. Saints, so those who are in Christ, by profession, are bound to maintain holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God. That means, Christian, you. It is your duty to worship God with your church family on Sunday morning. Yeah. You are bound by that. If you're a member of Sacred City, you've signed a covenant towards that end. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if you want to go visit your kids somewhere. It doesn't matter if you've worked on Saturday. It doesn't matter if you really like golf and it's the only nice day of the week. It doesn't matter if your kids have sports. 
the, the priority of your life is worship. And therefore, Sunday morning is meant to be devoted to him, and you have an obligation to God to worship him with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. This has just been so neglected in our society. And it, so not just the worship of God on a Sunday morning, also in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. What text do we have for that? Acts 2, 42 and 46. Okay. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. God has a mission to be known and worshipped. Mm-hmm. God has a mission to renew this whole cosmos. Yeah. And God's means of accomplishing that mission is his church. Mm-hmm. And that means every Christian has a responsibility to play an active role as that church mm-hmm. so that a watching world can see what God is like and see how, how God orchestrates his society. They can see the goodness of his laws. They can see his grace and kindness and, and love the, amongst the brothers. And they see the, the, the love of God manifested in this body of believers and they want to join it. Yeah. And if Christians are not an active part of a here we see a worshiping community on Sunday morning, but we would also say a, a missional community, where you're breaking bread together, you're making meals for one another, you're devoting yourself to uh, your pastor's teaching and the scriptures, you are meeting each other's needs financially, making great sacrifices one for another, so there's no needy people among you. The a watching world needs to see the gospel displayed in a community like that. Yeah, yeah, you know. All right. Also, in relieving each other in outward things, that means meeting each other's needs, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion as God offereth opportunity is to be extended unto all those in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus should be a part of a community like this, right? If you say you have God as your father, then you have to have the church as your mother. All right, I can't remember which uh, old saint said that, but it was one of the early father, early church fathers. Yeah. Um, I was going to guess. I was going to guess Saint Cyprian, but I can't remember now off the top of my head. All right, let's go on to Article Three, Rob. Okay, Article Three. Uh, this communion which the saints have with Christ doth not make them in any way wise partakers of the substance of His Godhead, or to be equal with Christ in any respect either of which, to affirm, is impious and blasphemous. Nor doth their communion one with another as saints take away or infringe the title or propriety, or sorry, propriety which each... Property. Oh, property, which each man <laughs> hath in his goods and possessions. Okay. Here's where we're, we're dealing with a couple different errors here. Mm-hmm. They're, um, we are head-on um, tackling kind of uh, Eastern religions... And also, communism. Mm-hmm. This is this yeah. is going against communism here. So if the first one, this communion which the saints have with Christ. So remember, we have a we're united with Christ. We have a, a, a spiritual union with Christ um, in His body by by His Spirit. Now this is a, I'm going to use a big word. That well, I've already said that is a covenantal reality. It's not a ontological reality. Mm. So. I am not becoming God. 
godish. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I'm not. I am a partaker of of. I'm I'm in Christ, but I'm not becoming um, a god right. in any sense. He is alone God. Now, this is against a lot of different Eastern religions and New Age religions that talk about you becoming one with the universe right. or you becoming one with the great divine and you are like a single water drop in the midst of the ocean and all of this kind of um, tomfoolery. Mm. We are not in any way a partaker of the substance of his Godhead or to be equal with Christ in any respect. Mm. Either of which is to affirm is impious and blasphemous. So that's heresy to, to say that um, you are becoming divine or you're becoming a part of the Godhead when you with your union with Christ. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now here, here's the second part. Nor does that communion with one another as saints take away or infringe the title or property which each man hath in his goods and possessions. Okay. So Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 46, where it said they had, they shared everything and had all things in common. That was not communism. That was not um, offering up the goods to a collective body and we all get equal parts. Okay. That was, um, that, that communism is ultimately somebody, the state, mm-hmm. s- stealing from everyone else to give things to whoever they want. And usually when, when you see communism played out, the state steals from everybody, keeps most of it for themselves. And this is like oligarchy. Um, a small group of people get really rich and everybody else, it barely makes it. Yeah. All right. Many people wrongly read that and they think the Bible is somehow communistic or Jesus was communistic. He was not in any sense. The Bible is, 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 teaches personal rights and property rights in the, in, in the, in the clearest and starkest way. Like we, have, we have a commandment, thou shalt not steal, right? And we have a lot of other commandments that teach us how to respect the rights and the property rights even of other people. So what our communion with one another does is it puts a gospel uh, motivation and a gospel demand Mm. upon us. So I see how Christ emptied himself for me and that changes my heart towards other people and towards the poor. And so it causes me to want to empty some of myself for my brother and sister in Christ. When I see them in need, in poverty, Mm -hmm. in lack, and I have some abundance in that area, I want to bless it. And that is, that's worshipful, right? Communism is not worshipful. Communism is stealing from me and a collective state distributing the goods. This is a person using their responsibility and their agency to earn the money and then freely give that money. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. In the uh, early church there, we have Ananias and Sapphira, and they end up selling some of the property that they have, and um, they lie, unfortunately, in this in this stereo. But listen to how Peter responds to, responds to them. says, while it, this property, remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? <laughs> yeah. So there's this whole sense of this is yours to do with what you want to do with. And, of course, in the context, many times they would help of those who were in need, but it was always, it was still their property to do as they felt moved, moved and motivated by the spirit of God to, to, yeah. to give. It's not virtuous unless you are 
choosing to do it yeah. with your own moral agency, yeah. right? Um, if, if, if the state's making you do it, that's not a, that's not a <laughs> virtu- virtuous act or a worshipful act. So Christians share their resources one with another. We meet each other's needs. We, we give of our tithes. And the, the law of God does tell us to do that. So there is that mandate out there to do that. But we're, we're to use also our conscience. Um, so we say at Sacred City, we should be giving 10% to the local church so that the church can pay the pastors and, and move the mission forward and plant churches and all that. But we should be giving much more than that in our personal relationships at missional community. Mm-hmm. I can see this need right in front of me. My heart, I'm moved with compassion. I want to meet that need, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that is the work of God's grace um, pouring out yeah. in a missional community. It is not. It is not some kind of some form of of communism. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so this is man. This is a beautiful doctrine of the church. We are united with Christ. We have all kind of blessings from Him, um, <clears throat> and promises from Him. But those blessings and those promises also put some demands upon us that we've been, I mean, grafted into the tree, therefore we have to go and bear fruit. Mm -hmm. And if we are not bearing fruit, and if we are not living as a body of Christ, we should have no confidence that we're actually in Christ. We should have no confidence. I don't care how many times you prayed a prayer or or read your Bible. Like, if you are not not, uh, in the church of God, worshiping God with the saints and using your gifts and graces as God gives you opportunity, then you, you, just, you just should have should no, no confidence whatsoever that, that you are in Christ. Because a Christian, think about it. If I have the spirit of Christ in me, what more do I want than to gather with my brothers and sisters and sing and worship him and to live my life on his mission and to pour out my life for, for his people, right? Yeah, it's an outflow. It's an overflow of just who you are in Christ. You just this part of what you just do because you love to do it. So yeah, yep. absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it's good. So much more than just going to church because you know it's the right thing to do yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, the spirit of Christ in me motivates us to do that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's chapter twenty-six of the Communion of Saints. We hope that this was a blessing to you. Um, if you've got any questions, please email uh, me at Justin Dean at SacredCityChurch.com. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and we will talk to you soon. God bless. Mm -hmm.